Hello, welcome to the self-learning podcast by Dr. Shushma Singh. Let us start discussion on chapter 2, cultural change. And our topic is, how do we approach the study of Sanskritization, modernization, secularization and westernization? In this chapter, each of the four concepts, namely Sanskritization, modernization, secularization and westernization, are dealt with in different sections. But as the discussion unfolds, it will become obvious to you that in many ways they overlap and in many situations they coexist. In many situations they operate very differently. It is very surprising to find the same person being modern in some ways and traditional in other, another. This coexistence is often seen as natural to India and many other known Western countries. But you know that sociology does not rest content with naturalist explanation. As the last chapter has shown, colonial modernity had its own paradoxes. Take the example of Western education. Colonial led to the growth of an English-educated Indian middle class. They read the thinkers of Western Enlightenment, philosophers of the liberal democracy and dreamt of ushering in a liberal and progressive India. And yet humiliated by colonial rule, they asserted their pride in traditional learning and scholarship. You have already seen this trend in the 19th century reform movements. As this chapter will show, modernity spelled out not merely new ideas, but also rethinking and reinterpretation of tradition. Both culture and tradition are living entities. People learn them and in turn modify them. Take the everyday example of how the sari or chansam or sarong is worn in India today. Traditionally, the sari, a loose, unstitched piece of cloth, was differently worn in different reasons. The standard way that the modern middle class woman wears. It was a novel combination of traditional sari with the western petticoat and blouse. India's structural and cultural diversity is self-evident. This diversity shapes the different ways that modernization or westernization, sanskritization or secularization affects or does not affect different groups of people. The following pages seek to capture these differences. The constraint of space prevents a further detailing out. It is up to you to explore and identify the complex ways modernization impacts people in different parts of the country or impacts different classes and castes in the same region.
and even women and men from the same class or community. We begin with the concept of Sanskritization. The reason for doing so is because it refers to a process that pertains to social mobility that existed before the onset of colonialism and persisted in diverse ways of subsequently. The other three changes as we shall shortly see arose in the context marked by changes that colonialism brought about. This included direct exposure to modern Western ideas of freedom and rights. As mentioned earlier, this exposure heightened the sense of injustice on the one hand and humiliation on the other. Often this led to a desire to go back to one's traditional past and heritage. It is within this mix that we can understand India's trends with modernization, westernization and secularization. Now let us move to the next point, different kinds of social change. The first one is the Sanskritization. The term Sanskritization was coined by Amen Shirinivas. It may be briefly defined as the process by which a low caste or tribe or other group takes over the customs, rituals, beliefs, ideology and style of life of a high and a particular a twice-born caste. The impact of Sanskritization is many-sided. Its influence can be seen in language, literature, ideology, music, dance, drama, style of life and ritual. It is primarily a process that takes place within the Hindu space. Though Srinivas argued that it was visible even in sects and religious groups outside the Hinduism. Studies of different areas, however, show that it operated differently in different parts of the country. In those areas where a highly Sanskritized caste was dominated, the culture of the entire region underwent a certain amount of Sanskritization. In regions where the non-Sanskritic caste were dominant, it was their influence that was stronger. This can be termed the process of desanskritization. 2. In Punjab, culturally, Sanskritic influence was never very strong. For many centuries until that third quarter of the 19th century, the Persian influence was the dominant one. Srinivas argued that the Sanskritization of a group has usually the effect of improving its position in the local caste hierarchy. It normally presupposes either an improvement in the economic or political position of the group concerned or a higher group self-consciousness resulting from its contact with a source of 
great tradition of Hinduism, such as a pilgrim center or a monastery or a pro-stylisting sect. But in a highly unequal society such as India, there were and still are obstacles to any easy taking over of the customs of the higher caste by the lower. Indeed, traditionally the dominant caste punished those lower castes which were adducious enough to attempt it. The story below captures the problem. Kumud Badbe in her autobiography recounts how a Dalit woman became a Sanskrit teacher. As a student, she is drawn towards the study of Sanskrit, perhaps because it is the means through which she can break into a field that was not possible for her to enter on grounds of gender and caste. Perhaps she was drawn towards it because it would enable her to read in the original what the text have to say about women and the Dalits. And she proceeds with her studies. She meets with varied reactions ranging from surprise to hostility, from guarded acceptance to brutal rejection. As she says, the result is that although I try to forget my caste, it is impossible to forget. And then I remember an expression I heard somewhere. What comes by birth but cannot be cast off by dying, that is caste. Sanskritization suggests a process whereby people want to improve their status through adoption of names and customs of culturally high-placed groups. The reference model is usually financially better off in both the aspiration or desire to be like the higher-placed group occurs only when people become wealthier. Sanskritization as a concept has been criticized at different levels. One, it has been criticized for aggregating social mobility or the scope of lower caste to move up the social ladder. For it leads to no structural change but only positional change of some individuals. In other words, inequality continues to persist, though some individuals may be able to improve their positions within the unequal structure. Two, it has been pointed out that the ideology of Sanskritization accepts the ways of the upper caste as superior and that of the lower caste as inferior. Therefore, the desire to imitate the upper caste is seen as natural and desirable. Third, Sanskritization seems to justify a model that rests 
on inequality and exclusion. It appears to suggest that to believe in pollution and purity of groups of people is justifiable or all right. Therefore, to be able to look down on some groups just as the upper caste looked down on the lower caste is a mark of privilege. In society where such a worldview exists, imagining an equal society becomes difficult. The study on the next page shows how the very idea of purity and pollution are valued or seen as worthwhile ideas to have. Although goldsmith caste are poor higher than me, our caste rules prohibit our taking food or water from them. We have a belief that the goldsmiths are so greedy that they wash excrement of to dig out gold. Although higher in caste, they are therefore more polluting than we are. We also do not take food from other higher caste who do polluting things. Washermen who work with dirty clothes and the oily pressers who crush and kill seeds to make oil. It shows how such discriminatory ideas become a way of life. Instead of aspiring for an equal society, the exclusion and discrimination seek to give their own meaning to their excluded status. In other words, they aspire to be in a position from where they can in turn look down on other people. This reflects an essentially undemocratic vision. Fourth, since Sanskritization results in the adoption of upper caste rites and rituals, it leads to practices of excluding girls and women, adopting dowry practices instead of bride price, and practicing caste discrimination against other groups, etc. Fifth, the effect of such a trend is that the key characteristics of Dalit culture and society are eroded. For example, the very worth of labor which lower caste do is degraded and rendered shameful. Identity is based on the basis of work, craft and artisanal aptability, knowledgeable forms of medicine, ecology, agriculture, animal husbandry, etc. are regarded useless in the industrial era. With the growth of the anti-Brahmanical movement and the development of regional self-consciousness in the 20th century, there was an attempt in several Indian languages to drop Sanskrit words and phrases. A crucial result of backward classes movement was to emphasize the role of secular factors in the upward mobility 
of caste groups and individuals. In the case of dominant caste, there was no longer any desire to pass for the Vaisyas, Kshatriyas and Brahmanas. On the other hand, it was prestigious to be a member of the dominant caste. Recent years have been likewise a assertion of Dalits who now pride their identity as Dalits. However, sometimes as among the poorest and the most marginalized of the Dalit caste groups, caste identity seems to be compensate their marginality in their domains. In other words, they have gained some pride and self-confidence but otherwise remain excluded and discriminated. Now let us wind up the session and thank you very much for engaging yourself with the self-learning podcast.